why is he saying these things about Jefferson Davis? We'll find out from our guest Elizabeth Leonard when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Mission Critical. Two words that describe the data vital to every e-commerce website. If your company needs the services of an unparalleled co-location facility, you need to remember these two words. Castle Access. With Castle Access, your internet service will be secure in environmentally controlled data centers that offer high-speed managed internet access and the highest standards of 24-7 customer support. For more info, visit castleaccess.com. Castle Access. We keep you online all the time. Wherever you are, you deserve World Spa, a day spa for both men and women specializing in Western therapies with age-old Eastern techniques. All World Spa providers are professionally licensed specialists in their fields. We provide spa treatments for all schedules, from as little as 30 minutes to all-day programs. World Spa also has a spiritual library where you can relax and enjoy our collection of books, videos, and audio tapes. World Spa is open seven days a week by appointment and features a variety of special treatments, spa services, facials, exfoliation, and much more. We also offer products such as beauty and skin treatments, health drinks, herbal teas, and food supplements. World Spa also accommodates groups of five or more so you can make it a full and special day. Come enjoy the World Spa difference. Call us today at 619-624-0506 or visit us on the web at www.worldspas.org. If you want to live a healthier lifestyle naturally, visit wellnow.ca, an all-Canadian quality resource. We provide the information and knowledge you need to make your best choices. Wellnow.ca gives you access to natural products and solutions, lifestyle services, and licensed health practitioners. Our free monthly newsletter delivers healthy living tips, articles, and expert opinions. Become empowered. Go to wellnow.ca today. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Interested in advertising on any of our shows? Please click the Advertise link on the homepage or send an email to ads at worldtalkradio.com or you can click on the Sponsor This Show link on any of the show pages. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Professor Elizabeth Leonard from Colby College about a series of topics, women in the Civil War, most recently the Reconstruction Era, and now the subject of her most recent book, Lincoln's Avengers, the trial of the conspirators responsible for the death of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, We had a little delay there during the last break, which may disappear in the archives, but uh, Elizabeth, are you still here with us? I'm still here. Thank you for your patience. I'm sorry about the uh, technical delay. I have no idea what goes on there. I'm just sitting in my office on the phone, my ear turning red as the phone <laughs> presses against it. Well, we talked uh, about Reconstruction and particularly the way you address it in your book, Lincoln's Avengers, as being not uh, an event that starts out of nowhere, but is, is immediately tied chronologically to the end of the Civil War. And particularly, uh, it's tied to the trial of the assassination conspirators, uh, the people who were, were supposed to kill Secretary of State Seward and Vice President Johnson, possibly uh, General Grant. 
and you make the case that this trial takes place concurrently with President Johnson's undertaking of presidential reconstruction, the main figure through much of the book then is Judge Advocate General Joseph Holt. Tell us something about this character. Well, I have such a fascination with this man that people have come to assume that we must have had, you know, some cosmic link in a past life or something, because he has, uh, he keeps showing up in all of my research, but he shows up most boldly in, in this setting as the person who becomes the, what I would call Lincoln's chief avenger. He's the person who very soon after the assassination is handed the task by Secretary of War Stanton to supervise the investigation, to find the conspirators, to jail them, to bring them to trial, to be sure that they get convicted, and so on. So uh, part of that is the mandate he feels he's received, and part of it is uh, just the way that he would have understood his task based on his own personal programming and his experiences in his life as well as in the four years of the war. So he is absolutely a central figure for understanding how the conspirators' trial is handled, but also for understanding the ways in which after that initial trial is completed and four conspirators have been hanged and four others have been sent off to jail, how the government continues to try to pursue additional conspirators and understands the whole assassination, how certain aspects, I should say, of the government understand the whole assassination as not just an independent event, but the most heinous of a series of heinous events that were, you know, uh, designed and orchestrated in Richmond and, and then perpetrated against the Union. The trial of Henry Words takes place at the same time. Just a few months afterwards, right? It begins in August and it goes on until October. He's executed in early October of 1865. And, and you argue that this is part of the same impulse on the part of Holt and others. Right. Joseph Holt, there's no question in my mind, is out to get revenge. He's out to get revenge against all of those leading lights and their top-level flunkies from the Confederacy for whom he blames the war and all of its destruction and then, of course, the assassination of the man he had pledged his life to defend, uh, Abraham Lincoln. So, so he, he goes after Henry Wirtz with great gusto. And, and you mentioned the people in, in Richmond. He believes that Jefferson Davis is involved in the assassination conspiracy. He absolutely believes that. He has no question that he is the lead conspirator, and I'm convinced he doesn't mean just a kind of uh, unofficial, maybe a person who would have said, okay, go ahead and do it if you think it's a good idea, but someone who would have organized the plan, hired the assassins, coordinated the conspiracy, and set the whole thing in motion and funded it and so on. He really sees Davis as the number one enemy. And I think he, he and I and think the book explains this, that he really, Holt goes off the rails, essentially, in his determination to prove that Davis is responsible because he can't, over the course of 
a number of years actually muster the evidence he needs to prove that, but he's so determined to try. Now, in in a curious way, this echoes Lincoln's own view of the war, at least early on, when he, for the first year, even two years, really could not believe that the Southern people were disloyal and that this had to be, they had to be temporarily deluded by a conspiracy of, of right. statesmen uh, like Davis. Right. And and so Holt carries this feeling through that, that the evil in the South is at the top and it must right. be punished. Yeah, I actually think that Holt and Lincoln had a lot in common. I think that our historical memory of Lincoln is based so much on his second inaugural speech and the the way in which he is cast as a kind of benevolent, loving father of the entire nation, just the nor- not just the North and so on. So we have a much softer, cuddlier view of, of Lincoln than is perhaps accurate. I think he was tough in many ways, as was Joseph Holt. He certainly was tough on civil rights and... Joseph Holt was too, and and although Lincoln did have this message of uh, malice toward none, I don't think he would have tolerated many of the things that Johnson happily tolerated in terms of the uh, white elite in the South rising again in the in the wake of Appomattox. I think Lincoln would have cracked down on them hard, and but we don't get to see that because, of course, he was dead, so we have a very different historical memory of him. But I think he and Holt, he certainly gave Holt the job that he had and eagerly did so, and I think they had a lot in common. I, I, I don't think there's any question that Lincoln would have cracked on harder. You make the point in your book that, uh, and one that I, amazes me how often this is overlooked, that Andrew Johnson was a Democrat and had right. no interest in a strong Republican Party forming in the South. Right. Lincoln, as a Republican, would have had, if not a humanitarian interest, a, a pure self-interested political desire to see a strong Republican Party in the South. Right. And that would mean votes for the freedmen. Right. Absolutely. But I think he also had a humanitarian desire, and I think Holt also came to that, in fact, despite having been from a slaveholding family in Kentucky. Some project, a project I'd like to do, people have heard me say I'd like to write a biography of Joseph Holt, but I... I also think there are great projects to be done out there in terms of Kentucky and its contributions to uh, American history as a border state and the ways in which it's sent these people out into the world who who are on both sides of many divides and some truly great figures, um, not just for the Union, but for civil rights and, and all kinds of things. That would be an, an interesting be work. Study. Yeah. Now the uh, you mentioned Lincoln's toughness. I, I have a colleague here at, at uh, East Carolina, David Long, who theorizes that Lincoln was fully aware of what uh, Ulrich Dahlgren was up to in the the, the raid on Richmond in 1864, uh-huh. and that Lincoln knew the purpose of the raid and approved the purpose, including the kidnapping of Jefferson Davis, which implied, if necessary, killing him. Uh, as as David would put it, Lincoln essentially authorized the assassination of Jefferson Davis, and uh, this in, that's that's a tougher Lincoln than I can believe in. Uh, I think it's a tougher one than I can believe in too, and I think much uh, like there has not it's not been possible to find the smoking gun 
for Jefferson Davis with regard to Lincoln's assassination. I don't think the smoking gun has been discovered on the other side. I, I, I don't either. Now, regarding Davis's participation, it would it would be not too long ago that Holt would be considered delusional for thinking Davis had anything to do with it. But the idea of the Confederate government being involved has been been revived in the last decade. Right. Do, where do you see? Do you think Davis had anything to do with it? With the assassination? Yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that he had anything directly to do with it. I. I doubt that he would have put his foot down and said, "Absolutely not. We'll never take that approach." But I. I think, in a perverse kind of way. Um, Holt, in all of his determination, there was no one more determination, determined than Joseph Holt to find the goods on Davis, and he couldn't do it. And I feel that if, if Holt couldn't do it, it probably can't be done. You know, that in a way he's proved himself wrong by his own grim, relentless determination. Now, he did take some bad steps along the way and hire, you know, essentially hire people to give evidence or pay money to sort of suspicious characters to find evidence and so on. So maybe he completely lost his um, sense of justice or balance before he ever could have actually found anything. But he was so determined throughout his life for, in the first phase to just prove Davis had been involved, and in, the, in a later phase, to clear his own name, having had his name besmirched for his earlier efforts, uh, I think that if he could have found, you know, if it was there to be found, he would have found it. And since he didn't, I think it's probably unlikely. The other thing I, I said in a different context was there's a recent, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a recent book out by Mike Kaufman on Booth, American Brutus, and. Uh, Kaufman is also a dedicated, dedicated researcher, and he doesn't believe Davis was involved either. And as I said in this other context, if if Holt and uh, Mike Kaufman can't find the evidence, it's it's probably not there. I have to admit, when I was reading your description of, of Holt calling on questionable witnesses and doing everything he could to secure this conviction of the chief executive in spite of uh, a lack of apparent evidence, uh, the phrase Ken Starr flashed in my mind a few yeah. times. Yeah. I, I don't want to uh, divert into contemporary politics, but. But he does ha- become very single minded, and I, I, you know, I admire him greatly, and I understand that kind of principled struggle to prove something you believe so deeply is true, but I. As much as I admire Holt and understand his motivations, I, I also am, I can be fair and say, I think he really made an error, and a serious one, and, and it probably backfired on him. It did backfire on him in terms of his reputation. I think that one of the reasons he, we don't know who Joseph Holt is when we, it, when we should, given what he did for the nation in not just the Civil War, but in the years before the war, and in the years after the war, I think it's because he really lost his footing and uh, made these terrible blunders of judgment and didn't get to stand tall with the great heroes in the way that he should, I think. 
Well, I think anyone who, who reads Lincoln's Avengers will, will get a much fuller sense of Joseph Holt and what he did contribute. And, well, they'll at least learn his name. And they will learn <laughs> that. That's right. Now, uh, are you working on anything Civil War related these days? Well, I've, I've um, gone a little past the Civil War. My new project is on the Army after the Civil War, and I'm just starting on that, really. I've been working on it maybe for a year or so. But it's a study of the Army's involvement simultaneously in Reconstruction and on the frontier. And I'm trying to understand, among other things, the mentality of some of the commanders of the U.S. Army who had fought their way through the war to bring about emancipation, and then go on to proceed from that task to, quote-unquote, pacifying the frontier, which, of course, means killing the Indians, or at the very least, getting them out of the way. And I'm curious to understand how they understand what it is that they're doing. Do they make any kind of connections between what they had been doing in the context of the Civil War and what they're doing after the war. And I'm particularly interested in their use of black soldiers in both settings, that now you have black soldiers who are being used to kill Indians, who not that long ago had themselves been in the position of being oppressed, and of course are still oppressed in many ways, but are now wearing the nation's uniform and going out to continue to pave the way for civilization. So I, I'm trying to understand a range of complex issues around race in yeah, the that, post-war period. That does sound like a, an absolutely fascinating uh, subject and certainly worth exploring. The, do, do you touch on the use of the army, you mentioned in Reconstruction, in, in domestic uh, the Eastern politics, uh, in, in Washington, for example? I guess I'm thinking of uh, the moment you, you describe in your book, uh, Lincoln's Avengers, which, to my mind, is astonishing that people don't know anything about it. Uh, the moment when we almost fell under a military government uh, with Stanton's removal from office. Right, right, and Ulysses Grant sending the army to stand around his office. Very interesting. No, I don't, because I start after the Civil War, but that is a fascinating, uh, I mean, fascinating just, moment. You know, everyone who knows much about the period knows that Johnson eventually fires Stanton, uh, violating the Tenure of Office Act and setting up the impeachment trial. But And and some people have read the next line and know that Stanton uh, refuses to leave his office, barricades himself in right. there. But now you've got a, a question of who will the armed forces of the country obey, the Secretary right. of War and, and the General-in-Chief, uh, U.S. Grant, or the President of the United States. Right. And there are the, the, the GAR members, the recent veterans of the Union Army are volunteering or literally coming to Washington willing to take up arms again, this time against Andrew Johnson. Right. Uh, you've almost got uh, a coup d'etat. Right. And, and up until this point, I think Grant had been playing his own cards pretty close to his chest, but he knows, I think, that the Army will do what he says. And also what Stanton says, after all, what credibility does Johnson have with the Army? He has none, and he's also a Democrat, and he's also a Southerner, and, and so on. It seems pretty obvious that they would obey 
Grant and Stanton. Um, and, and Grant really throws his weight behind Stanton in that debate, although the story of Stanton's firing is often told as a story of betrayal by Grant. But I think you could look at the way Grant comes to defend him, essentially, and put the army at his service, and uh, essentially, anyway, and, and see that very differently. It, it is really a, a remarkable moment. It is. And, uh, Not unlike after the Revolution, you know, that George Washington could have done very different things with the Continental Army, right? But that, he, yes, he, he steps back. At the Newburgh Conspiracy, when he uh, gives that wonderful talk and uh, takes off his glasses and Right. Uh, by the time he's done, the, the soldiers are weeping with uh, loyalty and gratitude. Uh, right. But again, you're, you're right. That's a, a moment uh, that does not feature highly in the textbooks. Uh, I guess those would be the two closest brushes we've had right. with military government in the United States. And they well, just... and there's also the moment when you know people say that McClellan could have taken his army and marched it on Washington, too. <laughs> True, and, and, and of the three, he would be the least, probably the most likely to do so. Uh, right, and yet he says, you know, listen to Burnside. So. That's true, and and one can go further in time, General MacArthur uh, uh, and Truman, uh, not that MacArthur ever thought about it, but certainly the, uh, the conditions were such that uh, at least it was talked about that here was an opportunity for a governor to defy, or a general to defy the government. Right. Uh, but, but again, of course, he doesn't do it. He just fades away. Right. Um, well, there are some some remarkable things just uh, just below the headlines that uh, that we don't always get to. Let me uh, uh, throw you a a curve, a question I like to ask uh, as as we approach the end of our time. Uh, if you could go back to the Civil War era or Reconstruction era for an hour and return safely, who would you want to meet? Oh, well, I, I have always longed to meet Abraham Lincoln, of course. I think so many of us would like to. But I have to confess, I'd, I'd love to meet Joseph Holt, having studied uh -huh. him. Of course, I feel that I, I know him well. But he's a much richer, deeper figure than even he appears to be in Lincoln's Avengers, which I think is certainly in terms of published works the most thorough treatment of, of his story. But there's much more to him. He's a very interesting figure on the personal side, uh, which doesn't figure in terms of his private life, which doesn't figure at all really into what I study with him. And uh, he's a fascinating character. I don't know if I'd like him if I met him, but I certainly would like to chance the opportunity to meet him. And that's one of the, uh, the hazards of writing history. When you write about figures, it is very difficult to avoid the sort of emotional connection or an emotional, uh, uh, whatever the opposite is, you can be repelled by right. uh, the figure you're studying. Uh, certainly, I, I spend a lot of time with Lincoln uh, books and people who write about Lincoln, and I'm working on a Lincoln uh, book myself, and it's hard not to admire Lincoln, and one has to be careful not to to fall into uh, the trap of advocacy instead of, of history. Uh, and conversely, you can read about somebody you don't like, uh, and and the, and the opposite happens. Right, right. But, and then they say you start to look like the people you study too. I don't know how. Whether that's good news or not. Well, you know, I, I, I have a beard. I could do with the Lincoln look. 
<laughs> I'm not sure I want to look like Joseph Holt. I, I, well, I said we got to meet uh, a few weeks ago in Gettysburg. I can assure our listeners that uh, Professor Leonard looks nothing like Joseph Holt. <laughs> well, uh, thanks. Well, it has been a pleasure talking with you today. Uh, we are at the end of our, our hour. I recommend to all our listeners, Lincoln's Avengers is a fascinating book about a period of history that we think we know about, but uh, deserves much more study. Uh, Elizabeth, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. And thank all of you for listening today to Civil War Talk Radio. Listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk.